Support for this podcast comes from Yield Street. Trying to time the stock market can lead to regret. At Yield Street, our alternative investments are designed to create predictable secondary income streams, providing you with tools to help put your money to work immediately. These investments in asset classes like art, real estate, and legal finance typically have low correlation with the stock market and target annual yields up to 7 to 10%. Welcome to the next generation of investing. Welcome to Yield Street. Sign up today at YieldStreet.com. Welcome to The Yield, the official podcast of Yield Street. Every week, we bring you the latest market insights across our asset classes and products from subject matter experts. Our aim is to break the outdated mold of investing and help you add financial fuel to your ambitions through innovative investing products and strategies, typically unavailable to most investors. Realize your next level with The Yield. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. The views you're about to hear do not necessarily reflect the views of Yield Street. This podcast is intended to be strictly informational and is not intended to be and should not be construed as a research report, investment advice, or the offer or sale of securities or any investment product. Now, let's get into the show. Welcome to the latest edition of The Yield. I'm Rishi Dixit, the Chief Technology Officer at Yield Street, and I'd like to welcome you all to today's webinar. I'm going to talk a little bit about fintech, where it is, where it's going, what are some of the challenges. Quick um, uh, information about Yield Street, please feel free to visit www.yieldstreet.com to learn about our uh, offerings. And if you're an originator, do check out our Waste Capital page uh, on, the, on the website or send an email to originations at yieldstreet.com. We actually have a live offering uh, that just launched or is about to launch supply chain financing offering to e Do check it out. We also have a couple of real estate offerings currently open, Park City Luxury refinancing, as well as a North Virginia uh, office financing deal. So do check those out. So we're going to chat a little bit for about maybe 30, 35 minutes. Uh, I'm here. I'm, I'd love to introduce uh, you to our guest today, Noah Lamphart, who is the CTO and co-founder of Variable, a really cool startup in the gig economy space. He's also the founder and CEO of TouchTap a digital solutions studio, and the host of a really cool podcast called Code Story. So welcome, Noah. Happy, thrilled to have you here. Oh, so pumped to be here. Thanks, Rishi. So we'll, uh, we're going to uh, chat a little bit about FinTech. Please feel free to have the questions keep coming in. Uh, we'll try to get to as many as we can and uh, also leave a little bit of room at the end to have some live questions as well. So uh, just to k- kick it off, I'd love to hear a little bit more about you, Noah, uh, your uh, your background, your journey into technology and entrepreneurship, and uh, just your overall uh, experiences that, that have brought you here today. Absolutely. Well, thanks again for having me. This is uh, super fun, super honored to be here and love the guys, uh, love the work that you guys do at, uh, at Yield Street. Yeah, I've been in tech for, for about 15, 16 years. I started out in the corporate world doing .NET development, slinging some C-sharp, uh, ASP.NET stuff. Then went to full-on corporate America and, and worked at Alcon Laboratories for eight years. Um, was treated really well, learned a lot of really great stuff, got some school paid for. It was a great place to be. But I started to get the itch. I started to get the entrepreneurial itch, right? A lot of my family has started their own business. It's kind of my blood to do our own thing, kind of, 
you know, maybe not have a floor, but have no ceiling either kind of work as hard as we need to kind of thing. So, um, started to get the itch, started to want to see a little, little bit of fruits of my labor. And, um, with the, the huge support of my amazing wife, we decided to jump from corporate world and start my uh, mobile development agency that was touch tap, uh, started that in 2015. And then uh, did that for a few years and started building startup solutions for people. Then I got the other itch, which was I wanted to do my own startup. And so started going through that process, got introduced to uh, my current partner and um, started Variable, which is an on-demand marketplace for manufacturing labor. So we're the, the Uber for the shop floor. Everybody's got an Uber tagline. We're no different. We got, we got throw Uber in there, right? To get some validity to We're it. still trying to work on ours. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So Uber for the shop floor. So we connect businesses um, to you know flexible capacity for their manufacturing plant. So I've been doing that since uh, 2016, launched in 2017 and haven't looked back. And then you mentioned Code Story. So I'm a podcast host. I get to interview like-minded tech visionaries. Uh, not that I'm the tech visionary, but the tech individuals who go on and build amazing things like yourself, Rishi. Yeah, that was uh, that was a really fun time to spend on your podcast. Thanks for having me there. Since you uh, you mentioned about your uh, your kind of motivation to start variable, and it's great. I checked it out, and I think the gig economy overall, and just kind of like enablement marketplaces or uh, two sided marketplaces in a way. There's a, there's an interesting parallel between that and what we're trying to do here at Yield Street. It's interesting that how this is kind of like to segue into the fintech side of things almost all of these platforms eventually find their way into some corner of fintech. So for you, of course, it was payments, right? Because obviously when you're when you're an enablement platform, you're handling, you're doing all the heavy lifting of the logistics and the payment and the cash flows. What are some of the kind of challenges that you face uh, as you were building, not just the, of course, the overall platform, but also the the, the money part of it? Yeah, absolutely. You know, from from kind of the overall standpoint, we, we sort of fought with the same things most people fight with, you know, building a prototype, moving fast, that things like that. But from a fintech standpoint, from a payments, one thing that I talk about pretty regularly is is our daily payouts for our, our operators, which is what we call our the worker side of our platform. So early on, we decided, okay, we want to pay these uh, individuals daily. And, you know, we don't want, uh, we want that to be a huge selling point on our platform. So if a worker comes and works on our platform. The business has till the next day until about 11 a.m. to make adjustments if they were there longer than they, you know, they plan to be. And then we process their payment and they get paid that next day. So if you can string together uh, a set of, you know, ops for a week or for a month, you essentially have a rolling paycheck. When we started out building this, we we went with a well-known, call it the de facto vendor for payments and, and started to try to link the collections from the business to the payments to the operators. And it honestly was a nightmare. There was yeah. a lot of problems with KYC, with accounts being shut down without us knowing. There was a lot of timing issues of getting the money and then making sure that it got to the workers in time. And it really was just impossible to achieve hmm. that daily pay. So we, we eventually, you know, changed how we looked at it. We broke it into two different processes, collections from our businesses and then payments to our operators, and then integrated uh, some different partners for ACH processing and then for a pay card and right. are able to achieve that daily pay now. You know, and then I hear stories like this. And, and of course, uh, as part of what we do here at Yield Street, obviously being an investment platform, one of our... Uh, one of our key parts of our mission is is to generate yield for uh, our investor base. 
especially now. So as you're living in a close to 0% interest rate environment, it's becoming an increasingly uh, important thing for, you know, conscious investors. But I keep like, I've been doing fintech for, I don't know, coming up on like 20 years now. Jeez, it's crazy to think about it that way. But um, <laughs> You're a veteran. Oh, it's crazy, right? It's, <laughs> if you think about building something like Yield Street or Variable, let's say circa 2004 or five, it's just, I'm picking that year roughly because that's when that was kind of like my big foray into some real heavy duty FinTech back in San Francisco when you're building a wealth management platform. Mm. It's amazing how much the ecosystem the technology ecosystem has evolved since those early days of fintech to where we are today. And if you kind of imagine what would be what it would have been like to build variable at that point of time, and as opposed to now, despite the attendant challenges, it's amazing how how much the the world has evolved. And I'd love to get your thoughts on it. But I think like some of the key vectors, if you will, in which the space has evolved has has been, there's been a lot of emphasis and focus on kind of de-obfuscating necessary, but kind of legacy, uh, entrenched in legacy systems kinds of, of financial services like mortgages or insurance. Now, these are all things that everyone needs, but it used to be an uphill battle back in, even as, as recently as like maybe 10 years ago, but now with companies like, and of course, like along with all of those, the straight up payments and investments uh, part of FinTech as well. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely kind of amazing to see all these incredible startups that are coming up in the space that are simplifying these age old industries that had been mired in paperwork and wet signatures and like, you know, so this smoothening, the defrictioning, if that's a word of the overall experience to get, to get access to an essential service has been a big driving force behind uh, a lot of the recent advances in fintech. So I think it probably rings true for you as well as you, as you were building uh, variable. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, it's interesting to think back, like you said, when we, when we started variable, if, if some of these solutions weren't around or kind of budding uh, when we started, I, I don't think it would have been possible to do what, what we're doing right now, you know, I think that when when I look at what's being built across, you know, the the fintech world right now, it's like the APIification of things, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's well, I guess it's two things really. There's there's B two C and then there's B two B, right? There's the making financial products, you know, available to consumers that you know wouldn't wouldn't either would have difficulty to get a hold of those services or would have to go through, jump through a bunch of hoops to get them. And then you've got the, you know, the API-ification that I was talking about, the way to, the, you know, to, you got an API to open a bank account, you got an API to, to, uh, to make a, uh, a trade, you know, on a, on a, um, you know, on a stock or something, or you got an API to, you know, invest in something uh, different, you know, it, it really creates this opportunity to, to abstract, or it is this, uh, it creates the opportunity for developers to abstract a lot of things up, and then build stuff on top of it and, and create new things. Um, I see a lot of similarities, you know, to geek out for a minute, but like, as languages progress, right? As languages progress, where, you know, you're coding in a much higher abstraction level than flipping ones and zeros, right? Assembly uh, yeah. all the way up to something we might use today uh, with JavaScript or something like that. So, 
Yeah, it's kind of like the the internet pipes did for e-commerce back in the '90s. That 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 kind of built the. And in fact, that's that's a it's a phrase that I've seen used fairly frequently in the space. They call it the financial operating system. So they're really building out the basic building blocks of any kind of company, a product, or any uh, any kind of service you want to offer, because it it kind of whittles down to some very key basic things, moving money around, verifying identity, or uh, as you mentioned, like trading or selling or buying like securities or instruments, mm. there would be an entire company that would just build that. But now we have a layer of these kind of SaaS type like API platforms that let you do those atomic bits of, of fintech. So you can actually focus your attention on the actual business problem we are trying to solve. In our case, it's it's actually opening up. And that's kind of like the other area where I believe fintech has, is really, really making some interesting strides, especially recently. It is opening up these kind of areas of the financial services world that were kind of hidden, almost unknown, unless you lived on the street, unless you worked on the street, like, you know. And and that's actually made possible. Now, if, we, if I had to build my own uh, layer over uh, the Nacho protocol to do payment to to do movement of money, it would have taken like twice or thrice as long to build uh, Yield Street as it did. We were able to launch our MVP back in 2015 in like six weeks. And it wouldn't have been possible if we had to kind of like go all the way down to that atomic level and build all the plumbing as well. And that's actually an interesting segue because, yes, there are these very cool API companies and there's any number of those that do payments, that do account opening, that do all of these things that we talked about. But the underlying protocol, if you dig one level deeper below the API, you're still dealing with COBOL and mainframes and technology that was built in the 70s. And uh, I'm sure uh, you remember, and some of our uh, listeners here uh, probably remember as well, there was a outage at the Fed last, just I think it was last week, where the ACH system went down. And no matter how beautiful and beautifully versioned and efficient your API is, if that substrate is down, there's absolutely nothing you can do. So so I, I'm curious to hear your take on like, okay, fine, we have, we have commoditized the APIs that has enabled us to solve problems that would have taken a lot longer to solve a few years ago. But still, if you have this semi-brittle substrate, that is decades old. How big of a challenge do you think that is? And what, what do we think is the way out of that, that final mile? Yeah, no, that's a great, it's a great question. I feel like we're in the middle, right? We're, you know, we started out with the old infrastructure and that was it, right? And now we're, we're building a lot of different solutions in the fintech world that sit on top of that infrastructure. But at some time, the pipes are going to have to be changed, Right. Yep. You know, the, the, there's going to have to be some overhaul on the house. Right. I mean, yeah. um, I'm, I'm in the, uh, you know, the middle or I finished some house projects here recently. And just going through that process just kind of helps me think about like how important the foundational elements are to a system. And, and I, I see it. I don't know. I see it in two ways. Like, like the middle part uh, where we are right now, we've got all this cool tech being built on top. And that's good. Right. We're abstracting out some of the, you know, commoditizing some of the things that were really hard to do to do before. Um, but that abstraction, when you talk about code, at the end of the day, it's still going down to ones and zeros. Right. We haven't changed ones and zeros. We may have changed how we process. We may have changed, you know, the types of hardware and stuff that process ones and zeros. Yeah. But it all goes down to ones and zeros. 
However, you know, the ACH network or EDI or anything like that, some of the older stuff is still not ones and zeros. It's a, it's an older abstraction above, you know, you mentioned mainframe and COBOL, like some AS400 sitting around collecting dust that's still processing our ACH payments today. So, you know, I I think there is a way forward, but it's going to take, it's going to take a lot. And I think when we get there, it's probably going to be a little painful. It's going to take some investment, I think, by the individuals building the new solutions. It's going to take some investment from people maintaining, you know, the ACH network, the EDI protocols, and and kind of enabling them to up-level those protocols to newer technology. I think we can get there, but it's probably going to hurt. <laughs> you know, it could probably take some concerted effort on the legislative side as well to actually, you know, help this project along. But, you know, there's hope. Uh, and, and just so we knowing this, knowing the the, the state of the, the underlying substrate of all of this, we do take care of when we build our solutions on top of this, whether it's an API player or just a product, someone who's building a product like Variable or Yield Street, we are aware of those. So it, it, is, an, it is actually a big part uh, of an architectural, uh, it's a big architectural consideration when we build these systems because now we have really, really advanced tool chains to build our software on top of. So knowing that X can go down or Y can go down, we actually spend more time building tolerance to that, building, mm-hmm. building, insulating ourselves from the possibility that something may go down, mm-hmm. knowing that no data will be lost. And yeah, maybe there will be a slight delay in, in getting this or that, but it will, everything will get processed. But you're right. I mean, I think, uh, I, I think it's going to take a, a, a pretty formidable, not undoable, but a formidable level of willpower across multiple parties and, uh, <laughs> and institutions and collectives and alliances to actually overhaul this. And I remember uh, I did a, I doing a little bit of work in digital health before I was here at Hill Street, and um, we had to deal with this uh, on the EDI side where, you know, processing uh, insurance claims are actually being able to submit health insurance claims and being able to check on the status of those. Now that goes to this, this low level EDI protocol. There's companies that have built APIs on top of that, but still, you know, it has that the same level of brittleness that, that we're talking about here with Nacha and, and similar things. Um, so there is actually upgrading the protocols. What do you think is, and uh, at, at some point you knew the conversation was going to come around to the B word, right? Uh, <laughs> I know where uh, you're going. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, there's a lot being written every day. There are entire companies obviously uh, devoted to building things on top of the blockchain. Do you think that that could be one of the possible ways to, so there's two ways, right? You either fix the protocol or you just abandon it altogether and build something new to achieve the same end. Mm-hmm. So what's your, uh, how bullish or not are you on, on that as a technology? And it, it'd be an interesting uh, conversation, I think. Yeah, no, no doubt. So I, I really like the blockchain. I, I'm really dig it. I dig the technology. I dig the idea of the decentralization and um, the security aspect of it. And everybody's got a copy of the ledger of the ledger, and you know, at the very obviously the very simplest form. But is it a replacement for what we have today? I don't know. You know, I'm still I'm still like the guy sitting on the fence looking at all this happening, and going, I don't know where it's all going to land. I already see very functional use cases for the blockchain for cryptocurrencies around supply chain, um, you know, around perhaps even like, you know, 
real-time currency conversion, uh, it, stuff like that. Uh, I, I could and tokenization of different things. I can totally see that yeah. being applicable now. But as far as taking our old network and up-leveling it or connecting blockchain to that or replacing it, I don't know yet. I have a hard time with that. One thing is because you know the way that we've wrapped everything around these these systems is is it's in a validated state, right? It's in a a state of like this has been tested, this has been proven. If we change it, we have to revalidate it. You know, I come I come from when I worked at Alcon Laboratories and it was an FDA regulated industry, so you know, audited and we had to validate all of our systems on the on the shop floor. So so I'm very familiar with that that aspect of it. When I think about it from going to, from that to the blockchain, I yeah. can, I can picture some of my colleagues at Alcon just, you know, just their head exploding that that yeah. wouldn't be possible because you can't validate it. You can't audit it. You, I mean, maybe you can, but you, it's, it's very different. It's a very different mindset. So yeah. how bullish am I? I don't think it's going away. I think it's going to find its place, but I don't know where that place is yet. And there may be multiple, like we have, uh, you know, from, uh, from my perspective, like there is a strong signal and there is a lot of noise around it as well. There are many, I've read so many blockchain white papers uh, that, you know, some of them look like, okay, well, that's a very fascinating uh, use. I mean, I'm not even like, talking about current cryptocurrencies or which is one particular application of the, uh, that can be built on the blockchain, but, but others tend to look like, I mean, I find myself asking like, okay, well, blockchain can solve it, is it actually making something easier? Is it mm. really making something cheaper, more efficient? Because otherwise it's a solution looking for a problem. Like, okay, I can solve it with a well-charted distributed database and what's the difference, right? Right. Uh, but, but there are, speaking of like the asset management space or uh, the kind of the world that we live in, industry, we have a, without going into a lot of detail, we, we do have a strong po uh, point of view on what parts of that world can be simplified. Because, you know, there are certain use cases that are just off limits for blockchain. If you anything like take HFT, like you can't do high frequency trading in the blockchain because it's, it's, right. it's, it's, it's the opposite of fast, right? And it's also not the best thing for the environment. But, but there are so many kind of, we were talking about these archaic uh, systems. There's also archaic processes that can be simplified dramatically like by, by processes, I mean, like, you know, there's multiple parties and counterparties and documents to be signed. And there are still industries, take the IRA industry, we're still faxing things around, right? So there are some very interesting use cases for, for, for kind of disintermediating in some of these complex flows and actually having that permanent record, uh, having the distributed ledger be that source of truth rather than a bunch of paper, paper sitting in files somewhere. So that there is a that saves costs that that simplifies things, speeds things up. Of, of course, by by speeding things up, we're we're cutting down weeks to hours, not you know milliseconds to nanoseconds, a different kind of speed up. But there is also uh, some other interesting angles where it's relatively, and this is a hypothesis, but it's a relatively simpler path to going global. For instance, where you're not you know, you know you're not dealing you're dealing with a global currency, the token or whatever the tokenization is uh, that you have, you're following. So you don't have to deal with fiat necessarily, except. So, so there's some interesting, and I, I'm kind of with you, like, you know, there are some problems that have, that I think can be effectively solved and have been solved. You know, some really good companies that, uh, that are friends of ours uh, that are, that have built some really good solutions on the blockchain, like Providence. But yeah, I mean, replacing 
entirely these old protocols, it's going to take more than one tech. I think I think you're right. So what role the blockchain can play in it remains to be seen. But so uh, I, I think uh, just one one thing you you touched upon audits. That's the other kind of like complexity and challenge that that we have to work with when we when we work and when we live in this kind of regulated industry. It's you know people talk about building a very simple MVP that uh, for launch, but there are certain corners that we cannot cut when we uh, when we build an MVP because you have to be privacy minded, security minded, encryption minded, right from day zero, even if you, you know, even if the footprint, feature footprint of your MVP is small, you're still going really deep in terms of these privacy and security features. And I'm, I'm pretty sure you um, kind of encountered that with, with your payments uh, functionality as well. We're coming up on uh, about half an hour. Let's see if you have any, any questions that uh, have come in. No, there's a question for you. Are you worried about the proposed various state level legislation targeted towards the gig economy uh, orgs very much like uh, variable? Sure. No, that's, a, that's a great question. We keep our finger on the pulse of labor law uh, legislation, you know, uh, very regularly. We, we stay in touch with those topics. Um, you know, it's it's an interesting time we live in with the gig economy um, sort of booming, sort of growing a lot. And at the same time, our labor law is pretty antiquated. So it's going to be interesting to see where it goes. Are we worried about it? Um, we're optimistic about it. Um, we think it's going to turn out uh, turn out well for the gig economy. Uh, we think that it's going to be it's going to be okay. But I do think it's it's something that we're going to have to pay close attention to always because we're a we're a marketplace with contractors, and so that's a it's a great question and something I wish I knew where it was going to go because then I can answer that more definitively. Uh, but uh, it's definitely something we keep our finger on the pulse of. Let's do piggyback on that. Is actually that is a very good question, and, and especially with the proliferation of these kind of gig economy uh, services and products that are coming up. Do you think the marketplace itself will be able to influence to some extent the legislation that drives how these platforms function I think so honestly I do and and you say the the marketplace and I'll, I'll say the marketplaces in, in my answer right the the joint community of people who've built these marketplaces that people survive on and they have a good thing they have a good thing going with the current setup now will there be some things that we probably have to find a middle ground on absolutely but i do think there will be some conversations or some seats at the table for the marketplaces to come in and and you know ex- express what you know what what essentially the workers are, are wanting from what we see yeah, it's 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 going to be uh, regulation is and legislation is something that we constantly work with, work through, work alongside with. It's a very strong function here at uh, Yield Street, of course. But I, I think if there is enough of a critical mass of desire, let's say, and like you know, a, a number of these marketplaces that that are looking to kind of like influence um, uh, the direction in which uh, these things are going, I think I think they certainly should. Uh, have a say or have a role or have a voice in the legislation that shapes them. Absolutely. I think uh, it, it, it'll be good. So so we kind of like covered like how far we've come, you know, what are some of the challenges in building these kinds of products and, and working with these uh, archaic systems. What's next? You know, what are, what are, what are, what innovations, obviously this is kind of like, you know, kind of a crystal ball uh, look at like what remains untapped. 
that would do well to be tapped, let's say. What do you think? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think that I think that we got to start planning for change in the pipes. I think we got to start thinking about that. As far as like what else could be built on top of the current pipes, you know, I, I'm sure there are areas in in fintech that that are are not touched yet. Mm-hmm. You know, that are still a bit of a longer manual process, more paperwork driven, or more you know manual digital process than something. Yeah. something else. So I, I know there's, there's areas uh, that can be touched there. And I know there's a ton of areas that are, could use technology as well. Um, you know, could use technical extraction on top of older systems. You know, um, I think you mentioned uh, like, like uh, healthcare records earlier and some of the auto industry stuff I think could yeah. be, could be done too. And, you know, there's a lot of older tech, older tech that's sitting on. So but then once we do that, we're going to have to plan to change the pipes. So <laughs> I know we're going to have yeah. to get there. So I, I know we've got to start thinking about it now. Yeah, I know. A question just come in, uh, which is very interesting and kind of related, and I'll get to it in, in one second. But I think uh, I think it's it's kind of useful to look at our day-to-day lives and, 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 and think of what is still painful? What leaves you wishing that, hey, I wish I had an app that did it, you know? A uh, friend of mine just kind of closed on a house. And yeah, the mortgage part has been increasingly made smooth, the financial part of buying a house. But but there's all the other stuff dealing with the brokers, all the paperwork, the inspections and stuff like that. Now, wouldn't it be cool? Like, this is just kind of one idea where wouldn't it be cool if there was a single platform that did all of it, the finance side of it, getting the mortgage, doing the inspections, all of that. Hey, maybe there's a, there is an interesting uh, use case for blockchain. Everything, all the documents just sit on the chain, and everyone who needs access to them has access to them. So I think that, that's a good way to think of what's next. Like, what is painful right now? Because some of the best ideas come from addressing a known pain point. You know, so so yeah. uh, what do we think when the regulation is going to catch up, and when it does, is it going to be good or bad for this industry? So no, you can take that. I think it's kind of related for um, so there's related but slightly different industries if you want to take that for the gig economy and i can kind of address it from the the asset management standpoint sure sure yeah from from a gig economy standpoint i mean i think the regulation is going to catch up um i I think that when it's going to catch up i think it's probably sooner than later Uh, you know i think if you look at like ab5 prop 22 stuff that's been going in california and then you know some of the other states having conversations as well, and then the federal government getting involved. I think I think it's becoming more of a topic because gig economy is becoming more of a pillar in the economy. So I think they're going to catch up real soon. And I think that if it's good or bad, is it remains to be seen. I think that it. Uh, I'm optimistic that it's going to be good, and I'm optimistic that our leaders are going to try to put together something that's best for everybody. I think that the best solution uh, in in our eyes, and uh, you know, this is where where I sit, is to to continue to make gig economy or keep gig economy a contractor type status, and then you know have employment laws that fit actual employment scenarios. But I'm not sure what it's going to be when it gets there. But I I'm hopeful and optimistic that we can come to something that's going to work for everybody. I think all of the news and that the whole narrative of Uber, you said it's Uber for, uh, for manufacturing, like the, all, like the treatment of the drivers, like mm-hmm. which, which the operators in Uber, like, you know, how should they be uh, handled? I think that's, that's, that's actually raised a lot of these important, very important questions about you know, the role of regulation. Who does it help? Who does it hurt? Of course, speaking for Yield Street, we are 
already regulated up to us too, and for all the right reasons. Uh, so uh, from right from day one, some of the earliest hires that we had in the company were were lawyers, you know, and um, and compliance uh, specialists and who every day make sure that everything we do, all the offerings, all the processes, down to what we say in our um, you know marketing materials and, and tweets and stuff like that is is very very uh, well controlled and it should be. Sometimes the regulation helps us, you know, uh, uh, or changes in regulation help us. Recently, the SEC relaxed the time period on accreditation verification, which is great because it's a big friction point, right? Every year you have to renew your or re-verify your accreditation status. And very soon, you won't have to do it every year. You, can only, you only have to do it every five years, which is great for us, great for, and most, most importantly, it's great for our investors. So they have to go through this uh, process over and over. I think I got the signal. So uh, I'd love to kind of like uh, kind of wrap up a little bit. Thanks for all the questions. And uh, I really hope you enjoyed uh, our, our chat here. Please feel free to send us feedback on how we can, what else we can talk about. And we'll, we certainly take every recommendation and suggestion into account. Noah, thanks a lot for uh, joining us today. This was this was awesome, and I hope uh, well, we'll keep uh, continue chatting over the years. I think there's a lot of interesting build still left in our space, and I look forward to kind of chatting more about that. Thanks again, everyone, for joining. Uh, just to kind of reiterate, uh, please visit www.yieldstreet.com to know more about our offerings. We have a few that are on open right now, including one that launched just about a little over half an hour ago. If you're an originator looking to raise some uh, capital through our uh, 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 investor network, please email us at originations at yieldstreet.com. And uh, also, we have mobile apps both for Android and, uh, and iOS. So do download those and tell us what you think. Thank you again. And thanks, Noah, again for being here. Thanks, Rishi. Honor. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Yield. For the latest updates on the alternative investing space, go to yieldstreet.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. If you enjoyed the show, feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts as this will help other investors like yourself find our show. If you have any questions, please visit us at yieldstreet.com. Thanks again for listening and see you next week. The Yield Street podcast you just heard only reflects the opinions of the host, who is an associated person of Yield Street and does not necessarily reflect the views of Yield Street or any of its affiliates or other associates. The podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be and should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell any security and is not an offer or sale of any securities or investment product. The podcast is also not a research report and is not intended to be and should not be construed as investment advice. Support for this podcast comes from Yield Street. Trying to time the stock market can lead to regret. At Yield Street, our alternative investments are designed to create predictable secondary income streams, providing you with tools to help put your money to work immediately. These investments in asset classes like art, real estate, and legal finance typically have low correlation with the stock market and target annual yields up to 7 to 10%. Welcome to the next generation of investing. Welcome to Yield Street. Sign up today at yieldstreet.com.
Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big. 